0: and grow the industry around the world. For today's episode, we're joined by Dan Murphy, who's a technical marketing manager from ST Microelectronics. Dan is based in the UK, but he supports the team in Germany. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hi, Ryan. So could we just start off uh, by finding out a little bit more about you, Dan, and, and your personal background?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so my so my background um, with regards to electronics um, goes all the way back to Bromley College. So I, I started out life doing a, a BTEC in electrical engineering. Right. Um, and then from there, I, I went on to university in Sheffield to study electronics. And then in my final year at Sheffield, I specialized in solid state electronics. So this is getting into the detail about how electronic circuits are formed on silicon um, yeah. and I also specialized in power as well as part of my final year. Ah,
0: okay so don't take this the wrong way but back then <laughs> yeah. Well, what was the uh, kind of inspiration what attracted you to solid state electronics as a, as a thing um, at the time?
1: Well I, I think I was just interested in how how the the silicon all goes together and the processes and that type of thing. Um, And and then in in the lab work, I was quite interested in, in the power products. So, I mean, this is going back a while. So transistors were rated in ohms rather than milli ohms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that, that was my, my main focus at university. Um, and, And for my final year, project, I actually did a study on the degradation of ohmic contacts at high temperatures. So the university were able to find quite a good project for me to work on. So, so that was very interesting as well.
0: Oh, fantastic. And then um, when you graduated from Sheffield, where, where did, um, where did life take you after that?
1: Well, it, it, so like a lot of people in their 20s when they finish university. So I had a couple of jobs in quite quick succession. So I started at a distributor in Surrey, um, a specialist distributor for passive components. Um, and then I then I moved very quickly on to what was Siemens Passive Components back then, which is obvi- obviously at cost now.
2: Right.
1: Um, I was there for a few years. Um, and then after that, I joined ST. So um, I've been in ST for 20 years now. So. Wow it's, uh, quite a while yeah
0: yeah you must have seen an awful lot of um, developments and changes over that time
1: yeah a, a, a huge amount of change um, just in in the products that the company is producing and and if you look at where st is today and where it was back then I mean we we have huge business on product areas now that didn't even exist when I joined the company um, which which is interesting so obviously silicon carbide is one of those um but another one is mems um i i remember mems really starting to begin in production in sort of 2005
2: 2006
1: right um and and yeah it's very interesting and they, this was obviously the N- nintendo wii came out right then if yeah. you remember this console and the this handset you waggle about. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. This uh, was one of the...
0: For the benefit um, of the listeners, what is MEMS?
1: Um, so MEMS is it, it's essentially an electromechanical device. So you you have a, a metal structure um, and it's basically measuring movement. So,
2: yeah,
1: a free axis MEMS sensor is measuring um, X, Y and Z axis um, and then an, an accelerometer is is measuring high g um, you can have sensors that measure yaw and and tilt
2: yeah
1: um, and pitch as well so 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 what makes this up is essentially a mechanical element and then inside the sensor you also have a digital portion
2: yeah
1: which is converting the movement into a digital output so
0: these are like little teeny weeny tiny microscale yes. um not quite moving parts, so sort of almost moving parts, but not quite inside a inside a microchip, basically. Yes. Um, which yeah. are now, I mean, it's amazing now the products that have MEMS sensors in it. They are everywhere, absolutely everywhere. From your, you, know, you might even find one in a fridge door. Certainly, mobile phones have, have got uh, you know these things in. Yes, and it.
1: Yeah. And it it really evolved. It it started with just measuring three axis, and now you you measure temperature pressure um, Mm. and the accuracy is quite incredible you know you in smartphones they you know they measure the difference between what floor you're on in a shopping mall or something like this
2: yeah yeah
0: quite
1: extraordinary (laughs) yeah
0: and it's kind of um, interesting technology in terms of how they manufacture those sorts of um, devices Um, yeah the, the same with when you started out, did you foresee that, you know, electronics now is, is sort of everywhere and, and particularly sort of power type devices are, are everywhere. You know, we've gone from like the humble light bulb being a incandescent filament to then fluorescence with sort of some, some electronics around it to now LEDs where it's sort of power electronics and drivers and embedded software even in a light bulb. Throughs, yeah. practically everything that we touch and that is around us is absolutely stuffed full of electronics. Is that something that you kind of um, could you see that coming, or or is it just kind of crept up
1: on you? To to an extent, um, but I what I didn't see coming um, is it's just 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 to the extent it could proliferate into literally everything in daily life. I mean, like you say, it's in door handles. Um, they literally put electronics everywhere. Um, mm. and, and what I certainly didn't anticipate was um, how the birth of the smartphone and apps that go on smartphones would accelerate this process. So I, I think um, the technology we have today, um, so the use of apps and, and people have really grasped how electronics can go hand in hand with that
2: um, yeah
1: it, yeah certainly the last 10 years have been quite mind-blowing
0: yeah. so just for people who who um who might not know uh, I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes um to to your profile and also to st but could you just give us a quick t- top line of st and and um and who you guys are <laughs>
1: Yeah, sure. Um, S- St is a broadline semiconductor manufacturer, um, so it's it's a French-Italian company. So, so back in the early 90s, um, SGS Semiconductors, as it was back then, merged with Thomson Semiconductors um, to form ST Microelectronics that we have today. Um, so. It, it, as I mentioned, it's very broad line. So, we, the main markets we serve are automotive, industrial, consumer, and also infrastructure markets. Yeah. Um, and and the devices, the product areas we play in are, are very broad. So, we have everything from 32-bit microcontrollers to power transistors, um, discrete products, um, MEMS products. It's quite incredible, um, and the I, I've, the evolution of the company is is very interesting for me as well. I, I mean, if you look at how ST is viewed by um, the broader markets, um, if you go back twenty years, uh, broadline semiconductor companies were viewed as, you know, high growth leading edge, et cetera, et cetera. And, and because of the proliferation of Silicon into literally everything today, it's almost now viewed as a defensive stock. (laughs) So people, people who um, work in hedge funds, that type of thing, it's amazing how it's transitioned from this sort of up and down type marketplace to a, a defensive one, because, whatever's going on in the world, you that the products are always needed. Yeah, they're, they're in everything. Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. And ST is, is pretty big, isn't it now?
1: Yes. So the, the, the turnover last year was um, just under $10 billion. Um, so very big company. Um, we have 46,000 employees worldwide. Um, and what's interesting is is approximately 20% of those employees are working in research and development so we have a huge number of people working on new products new ideas um, and then that's reflected in the number of patents so the st has over 18,000 patents
0: 18,000
1: patents yes yes Blimey. and yes <laughs> Go, that are used in products that yeah are, are, are serving over a hundred thousand customers worldwide
2: wow
0: and it is because in the semiconductor world in the silicon world you've got sort of companies that are that do research and development and and kind of subcontract out the manufacturing and you've got companies who supply you know do the manufacturing as well where does st sit on that are you a a full uh, service company or or do you outsource manufacturing or do you have your own in house no
1: no one of one of st's strengths is very much that we we have all our own processes so for sure we do outsource some of our manufacture um some of our front end manufacture um to big foundries but but generally we're we're known for having our technology in house. So we up to 28 nanometer in digital, it's all in house in ST. Um, And then all the power technologies are in house, all the BCD technologies um, and the silicon carbide. Um, So it's a very good mix. Um, So we're not at the mercy of third parties necessarily.
0: Um, Right. Okay and before we kind of get into the the, the main topic that we'd um, agreed to to talk about which is um, silicon carbide it, when when can you just sort of touch on when you say broadline you know what kind of um, what are the sort of key products you know if you like top 5 things that ST sell, where where are we likely to find them
1: so first of all your smartphone um, you'll you'll find ST inside um so that that's obviously a very well-known product. I mean, we all have one pretty much. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and then, and then also in your car. So what pretty much, whatever car you drive, ST will be in your car somewhere. So, right. Um, I mean, a, a high end car can have up to $1,500 of silicon inside it now.
0: Wow. And that would yeah. be, Power switching devices, micro.
1: Yes, it, everywhere. So in your entertainment system, so in your stereo, in your satellite navigation. Um, so the obvious areas people would think of, but also in in the door of your car, there's there's drivers to lift the motor up, to lift the window up and down, um, mm. to demist the the mirrors. Um, there's, the possibilities are really endless. Um, but I, for automotive, the, the big mega trends for ST are obviously autonomous driving and the electrification of cars, um, because both of these areas require a huge amount of silicon content. So yeah. this this presents a huge opportunity for us. Yeah.
0: Yeah, c- clearly. Um, and that, <clears throat> so then it, just to segue that then into um, silicon carbide. So so this is, you know, something that we're starting to see come into the market more and more. Um, some pretty major vehicle manufacturers using um, silicon carbide switching devices. Um, do you, could you tell us more about what um, ST is doing in that field and and um, you very kindly offered to kind of do a bit of a, uh, a run through of, of what we mean when we're talking about silicon carbide as well. So,
1: okay, yeah, sure. Um, so, so silicon carbide. Um, just to explain what it is a little bit and, and and why it brings so many benefits is a it's a wide band gap material. Um, it's it's relatively new. Um, and there are some physical properties with silicon carbide um, that don't exist in silicon um, that, that bring huge benefits. So um, there are many of these, but I'll just talk about one or two to keep it simple. So mm-hmm. the, the, the first difference is, is the electric field strength. So this is the ability of the device to address um, a certain voltage. So silicon carbide... Um, can address much higher voltages. So, for example, if you consider, just for argument's sake, you have a transistor that is 650 volts um, breakdown, um, As a silicon carbide transistor will be able to address this with a much smaller area. Right. So just physically a much smaller piece of silicon carbide than you would need if it was silicon. Um, so that's, that's the, f- one of the first key points. Um, the this one, another key attribute is the electron mobility or electron velocity of silicon carbide material is much quicker than silicon. Um, so the benefit this translates into is we can run at much higher, um, switching frequencies. Right. Um, so, so when we're working in, space of power conversion, um, this translates into much lower losses. Um, because as well as having um, this ability to switch much, much faster, the switching is much cleaner as well. So the, the, the wave shapes are a lot cleaner um, and they're less lossy than traditional silicon technology.
0: Right. And and it, um, it really is the sort of, it's the, what we're talking about is a conventional transistor is made using um, silicon um, and that's that's fabricated to create the transistor. And with silicon carbide, it's literally we're replacing that basic silicon with um, with a silicon carbide instead. And, yes, and we're yeah, fabricating a, a transistor out of a, out of that improved material.
1: Yes, yeah, it's a it's a completely di- different material to work with. Um, so for example if you draw some comparisons in the, in production, um, a a silicon wafer is annealed at 800 degrees. Mm. Um, Silicon carbide it's 1700 degrees. So the the processes are at much higher temperatures. So if you, if you run iron implantation, this is done at a much higher temperature for silicon carbide. It's 500 degrees C compared to 25 degrees for silicon. Yeah, um, and then and then also you need um, more accurate photolithography processes to define the the structures on silicon carbide.
2: Yeah,
1: um, and then when you're trying to produce the structures, it's more difficult because you're wor- working with a harder material. Um, so it, it it's more it it's a more complex um, and difficult device to produce. Um, yeah, because the other I, uh,
0: application where silicon carbide is used quite a lot is things like hard coatings on um, on cutting tools and drill bits and things like that. Yes. So,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> so by nature of the fact that it's uh, being used as a cutting tool, it's it's not the easiest of things to work
1: and uh, no, yeah. No. <laughs> so, so they so they yeah and 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 this this is where a lot of the investment is. Going in now is into the the manufacturing of this material, so so the benefits are clear. the The market is is clear for us. Um, we we see really huge growth potential. So there's a lot of effort and development going into improving the yield and uh, and re- really reducing the cost of producing the components. Right, um, and then that in itself means that. It will proliferate and, and bring a lot of business for us too. So.
0: Right, yeah, because that is one of the so so if we look at applications where we might use silicon carbide devices, um, so obviously like re- replacing conventional um, transistors with sil- silicon carbide transistors is one of those. And your um, your explanation there was uh, was excellent. Uh, I, I I didn't realise that at all actually in terms of the driving thing being the electron velocity but you've got a better switching device basically so we've got a more efficient faster switching device that we can also operate at higher temperatures than a conventional um conventional silicon device so that so that's pretty useful in in applications like uh, traction inverters and power conversion devices so chargers and uh, dc dc converters where we want to um, switch the uh, electrical power either to to spin a motor or to um, put it through um, put it through a transformer to convert voltage from one level to another etc so so pretty pretty useful devices but the, the kind of big thing with silicon carbide at present is it's quite a big cost penalty to a conventional device yeah so you've got to kind of no especially in automotive where cost is one of the really important factors and and particularly electromobility the the sort of constraints to that really taking off it's all about getting the, that cost performance uh, trade off right so yeah. yeah interesting to know what you think is going to happen with the cost of silicon carbide devices over the next few years
1: yeah, okay, that's that's fine. We can chat about that a bit. Um, so I, so already over the past few years, um, I'd say the price evolution has been um, quite mind blowing um, with with silicon carbide. Right. In terms of just how quickly it has already come down, um, but you, as you correctly state, it, it is still more expensive than silicon. Um, but what what we need to be doing is looking at the entire system cost. Um, so you mentioned um, a traction inverter in an electric vehicle. Um, this, this is really a very good example to use. So, um, so if we consider um, an electric vehicle that's running on a four hundred volt bus, for example, um, if if we if we use silicon carbide um, instead of Traditional silicon technologies, um, we we can expect an improvement in efficiency of maybe four to six percent, something like this. So, so on the face of it, that that doesn't sound like a huge amount. But if you if you then extrapolate that and you start looking at the cost of the battery, so let's say the battery is costing you 150 dollars per kilowatt hour yep and you have a 60 or 70 kilowatt hour battery um so if you take 6% of that you very quickly cover the cost of implementing silicon carbide you know, you, you start saving 200 dollars um on the cost of the battery this this covers the additional cost of wide band gap components. Um, so this is the view we have in ST and 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 this this view is reinforced by car manufacturers now. So we see a very strong move to silicon carbide coming from car manufacturers from sort of 2024 time frame. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's clearly heading in this direction.
0: And is that in, in all devices? Because I know with some uh, some OEMs there's often a bit of a debate about, well, we might use silicon carbide in uh, the DC-DC converter because we can really maximize the benefits, but then not in the traction inverter. But are you seeing people go across the board with silicon carbide?
1: We're, we're seeing it across the board. Right. Um, so so. Particularly where you're dealing with higher levels of power, so so um, if if someone's developing a 3.6 kilowatt OBC or something like this, um, maybe super junction silicon vets are the way forwards. Maybe if if you really get into the detail of the design, it can still be done. Um, at a lower cost with this approach, mm. but if you start looking at um, what major car makers are doing now, which is to integrate the auxiliary converter into the onboard charger, and and if you if you look at that then being integrated somehow into the battery system, um, we're, we're seeing the, the use of silicon carbide extensively now. Um, so, to so where you have an OBC plus DC to DC converter, um, and and it's running at a, a relatively high power, um, to do this just with silicon switches is actually a challenge now. Um, this, this is what I see with one or two of my customers. And if you then also factor in the reduction in cost uh, of silicon carbide over the past three years, it's really becoming an attractive proposition now.
0: So. Okay, so so you, you see it as a it's sort of technology that's facilitating further improvements. So because that's um, I mean just sort of mentioning it in passing there, but that's quite a huge uh, topology development that's starting to come through. That's um, the move from just a separate charger DC-DC to a more integrated, um, more integrated device where you've you've basically got one item that's doing both tasks that's that's a pretty new
2: pretty new concept yeah,
1: yeah so it it, it it depends on the vehicle manufacturer um so european car makers tend to um, work with a kind of platform approach um so so having one box that fits all it is is advantageous for them so um, we've got one or two RFQs running where they're doing precisely that. Um, and then and then also with the traction inverter, um, what we're seeing is people having different ideas around you. You maybe fit an inverter onto the rear axle, and then that would go in every single car. Mm-hmm. And then for bigger vehicles, you have a second inverter on the front axle. Um, so, so so car makers are really trying to to plan ahead a little bit more um, in this way whereas i think a few years ago it was more about this you know this looks interesting we we'd better get an ev out into the market because everyone yeah. else is and <laughs> I, I, I don't know that they they were thinking of it as strategically back then they they certainly are now um, and I I had a call with a car maker a week ago, and the the guy said to me, you know, the plan is by 2027 to cease production of combustion engines. And and I, wow, <laughs> my my chin hit the floor a little bit, because <laughs> you you can you know I guess you can see it coming, but when when a customer tells you that, it, it really hits home. Yeah, yeah, no,
2: we've
0: we've certainly had similar similar kind of conversations. And it is, I think people don't see that in terms of the development cycle is quite long. In in automotive, for vehicles, they're big, complex things with a lot of engineering. So you're looking, you know, three to five years to get a product uh, from concept onto the roads. Um, so people are working on, and I'm sure you're, you are working now on vehicles that aren't destined to be on the roads until the mid-2020s, Um as as are, as are we so it, it's a very long kind of lead time into things being in the market and tested and proven and all the sort of reliability work done and it's not an easy it's it's not an easy job as um, as people are finding out it's an interesting I'd comment um, in terms of pe- people in the last few years maybe rushing to get products out and not thinking all that strategically about how they can best implement an electrified powertrain. That's um, yeah. What what? Why do you think? Why why do you think? What do you think's driven that? <laughs> they just they didn't take it seriously before,
2: or I
1: I think. Um, what what we've seen um, over recent years is 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 new new car makers appearing so. Mm. Um, if if you look at Tesla, for example, they made you know over three hundred thousand cars last year. Um, and I think ten years ago, if if someone had said to you a car company you've never heard of is going to produce three hundred thousand electric cars, you know we we'd all be raising our eyebrows a little bit. But mm. but here we are today, and they're doing this. And and if we look at particularly at china um, there are there are other vehicle companies popping up, for example, neo um produced over ten thousand electric cars last quarter, so they're running at forty to fifty thousand vehicles a year
2: yeah
1: um and and the advantage that these companies have is they they don't have the legacy that traditional car makers have so. If, if if you're producing millions of vehicles in a certain way with a combustion engine and you're you're completely geared up for this and then all of a sudden you're faced with managing this kind of transition
2: yeah
1: it, it's a really a, a huge challenge um and it, it it's obviously much easier for the new entrants because you're starting essentially from a blank piece of paper and yeah it's, it's really shaken up the automotive space. I,
0: I always say, I think there's a different design approach for an electric vehicle. You know, there's um, with a combustion engine um, product, it's difficult. The design challenges are different. Um, but there's almost like a different approach. You can afford to be a little bit less. Um, you know a bit more siloed I think that's probably the better way of putting it you've got the powertrain guys over there and the sort of chassis guys over there and they kind of don't
1: often have to talk to each other yeah it's completely different um it's and and for some companies it's presented a huge um opportunity so if you're a big a big company producing transmissions for traditional cars you're you're looking at the EV space and thinking, well, hang on, you know, we can attach the motor to this and yeah. develop an inverter. Um, and perhaps as well, we make steering and we produce brakes, braking systems as well. So we can ship an entire axle to someone with everything on it.
0: Yeah. Um, and I, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so and uh, uh, um, what do you think in the industry the the mood is towards um you know whether OEMs will bring it in house um or whether they'll continue to work with the big tier ones you know um do we see a future where because uh, you mentioned you were on a call with an OEM um so are OEMs going to start to take responsibility for designing their power electronics and making them and, and motors and integrated axles and things much like how they make engines now or do you think they'll they'll allow the, the transmission companies or the other tier ones to who who owns that space you know is it it's it it's a bit of a land grab at the minute isn't it it
1: it is it's exactly that um, i mean the, the OEM I, I spoke to last week they're actually bringing this in-house so the inverter they will develop in-house right. um, they, they will use a, a tier one for the transmission um but then it, it it's very unclear really it's still quite fragmented yeah um, so um but I, I i imagine like always at some point there will be some kind of consolidation and there will be a pattern to, to how this unfolds. Um and it will almost certainly be driven by cost as it always is.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So um,
0: Yeah, who can get the economies of scale where? And that's an interesting one with um with you know with uh, what ST makes. So you, you know, something as fundamental as a switching device. Um would you ever see the potential for for OEMs to start making their own switching devices? I know some, like Toyota, are quite heavily involved in um, in switching devices now. Uh, none of the other OEMs, to my knowledge, really have gone down that path. But is is that something that might? Um...
1: It's it, it's not something um, I necessarily see see a car maker doing um, mm. because it, this this isn't really where their added value is. Um, But I, uh, there, there is a possibility and and we do see what we refer to in the business as tier ones. Um, Mm. So these are people that make the equipment that go into the cars. Um, Yes. Yeah. We, we, we see them investigating or or making switches and modules and these types of products. Yeah. Um, because as, as the cost is quite high, it, it, it can be an interesting business
0: yeah Um, and that could be whether um st will move up the value chain in the future um start to supply more kind of complete module units
1: um yes well we are we are doing that so we're we're developing modules for um to address traction inverter application Mm. um so so this is already been being done in st um also Lower power modules um, to address markets such as OBC and DC to DC yeah. power converters. Um, because this, this is another another thing, um, customers have different ideas about the best way to produce these products. Um, so, for example, for, for an onboard charger, um, customer A will be very much along the line of just using discrete components um, you'll have another customer that will use modules t- so they will literally screw modules onto the board um, and then it's treated kind of as building blocks
2: yeah
0: it's more of a mechanical assembly task
1: yeah correct
0: yeah, yeah. which is fine if the module does what you want it to do um that's the often challenges that um I guess the, the modules will tend to be designed with one high-volume uh, OEM in mind that sort of pulls the product through, and then if you can adapt that to do what you want in your application, it it's, uh, can bring some good advantages. But if it doesn't yeah. quite do what you need, then um, you you either have to put extra hardware around it to adapt it or to, um, to use discrete parts instead. Yes. We we started talking about silicon carbide and how you would use it, um, and uh, I think I distracted you massively, and we we went <laughs> off down some really interesting areas there. But uh, so so we're talking about um, silicon carbide for a traction inverter. So pretty what we what we're establishing is you know what, what ST sees is the trend um, is that silicon carbide will be widespread as a, as a switching device in high power and lower power. Devices, so traction inverters, DC-DCs, and onboard chargers. Um, where, where would you start? You know, um, in terms of like a, a good design for a silicon carbide device, um, and what what are the things? What are the major differences when you're approaching um, a, a power uh, design with silicon carbide instead of a conventional uh, conventional device?
1: Which sort of application area do you mean? Do you if, mean for traction or
0: for, yeah. Let's let's concentrate on traction inverters.
1: Yeah. Um, so I mean, obviously the 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 starting point is the the power rating of the inverter. Um, so so what we need to do is 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 run some calculation based on the top level of power or peak power as it's called. Um, so which will be typically. Maybe twice um, the the average power, um, and then what you're t- trying to do is is break that down into phase current, um, and then and then basically you go through the various levels, and then you arrive at a point where you're determining how many switches mm. will will be needed. So essentially, in an inverter, there are six switches. Um, so you're then into trying to calculate how many dye or pieces of silicon carbide would be needed per switch
2: yeah
1: um, and then this this then drives you in a direction of working out which approach you want to adopt so um, some customers go for a big a big module um, which has many die inside it uh, yeah. that are sintered down onto a copper substrate and then you have mechatronic welds on the top for the source
2: yeah
1: um, and and they, they, this is a very a relatively easy solution to implement um, because you obviously have everything inside the module um, and then you you basically overlay the gateboard on top of that module um, and you you build up vertically and then you, you have a traction inverter, um, or another approach is is to use discrete. So so we have a very high performance package um, that we've developed, which is essentially a mini module. So it's it's two two die inside, um, and it's a very high performance discrete switch, um, and and then your your beginning to work out how many of those you obviously need um so what what also comes into play here and is a very important consideration is the 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 strain inductance of inside what we call the commutation cell so this is the full the full loop
2: right.
1: um so al- although the switch is very powerful and, and you might decide, okay, two of those in parallel w- would be okay. The reality is, you'll end up using three, maybe, because by using three, you reduce reduce the the headline figure for for inductance. Right. Um, so so conductance is in inductance. Sorry, is a very key consideration.
0: Um, and just w- but, why is that? What what does that drive?
1: Um, whether, whether, if you think of stray inductance, is it, if you're driving along in your car and and someone starts pulling the handbrake up,
2: right.
1: This, this this is this is how I like to think of stray inductance. It, it's just it's stopping the current moving around in an efficient way and it's generating heat. Right. Um, so you 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 need this parameter um, to be as small as possible. Okay. Um, so, so if we we work very closely with third-party module manufacturers, um, and and they have some of them have very inno- innovative ways of of keeping this this figure down. Um, it, it's quite impressive, um, and and this 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 is one of the key considerations um, in okay. inverter design.
0: Managing that stray inductance. Keep the cool. handbrake off.
1: Yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it, so it's interesting that even at that fundamental level, there you, you've got um, two two clear approaches: one using a module, and another using discrete components. Mm-hmm. Um, I often hear people talk about you know there's 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 then a, a kind of trade-off in terms of some people like to load load share across devices. Um, and other people get a bit worried about that. So they basically, they try and use the biggest switch possible to carry the current um, to reduce the number of devices and reduce the load sharing. Whereas actually, I have seen people kind of use it as a kind of inbuilt thing where they, they're trying to load share across lots of smaller devices. And they'll t- they'll go for a smaller device for each switch um, and a, yep. an array of them rather than a single big device or maybe two two big devices to make that switch.
1: So I, with with high power applications, they, there's essentially no choice. Um, so if if you're developing a, a 150 kilowatt inverter, you know there there isn't one piece of silicon in the world that can yeah handle that amount of power or current. Um, but but of course, when you when you parallel the switches, it, it it's a bit self-regulating the load sharing because obviously as the switch gets hotter, the, um, the, the resistance of the switch increases. So the current in that part of the circuit will find its way through a switch switch that is a bit cooler.
2: Yeah.
1: And then that switch will heat up. And
2: yeah.
1: Um, so it, it, self-regulates to a certain extent.
0: And be- because uh, silicon carbide is a bit more thermally stable, uh, than conventional, I would imagine that is is uh, somewhat easier with a silicon carbide device
1: yes yeah it, it, it can cope with higher temperatures and um, a, a lot more stress mm. than, a, than a regular switch so.
0: yeah and in in um, you know we've got these sort of quite different characteristics with silicon carbide um, faster switching uh, higher electron velocity, you know, all, all that good stuff. Does that drive uh, a different approach to the the other elements of the inverter? So do you need to, to sort of handle the gate drive differently or is there more chance for, you know, do you need to do big different stuff with a DC link, uh, for example?
1: It, yeah, there, there's one or two um, considerations, some can that need to be considered. Um, One of the key things, obviously, in a traction inverter is um, you you need to develop this um, with an element of what we call short circuit withstand time. Mm. Um, So so in a short circuit event, you obviously need to switch it off. (laughs) Um, So uh, if you're using silicon devices, so IGBTs, IGBTs. Um, the, the period of time you have to make this transition is a lot longer than you have if you are using silicon carbide.
2: Right.
1: Um, so al- although the silicon carbide is essentially is easier to drive, um, the dealing with the short circuit withstand time is a bit more challenging because you will be trying to do this in um, one or two microseconds in a very short space of time.
2: Okay. Um,
0: and wh- why is that?
1: It, it's just because of the different properties um, between IGBTs and silicon carbide. Okay. So, so so IGBTs are, are very robust um, in that sense, mm. um, and that that's one of the qualities they have. Um, but then. The huge downside is, you know, if you want to work at much higher voltages, it's very difficult with IGBTs. And obviously, you can't switch at the same sort of frequencies. People are running inverters at 8 or 10 kilohertz um, with IGBT technology, and you can run at more than double this with silicon carbide. Right. So then, the knock the knock on effect there is, you know, you can you can use smaller DC link capacitors. Yeah. There are huge savings to be made. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, if if you if you're using silicon carbide in a in an inverter, you can realistically expect to house it in a space that's half the size or something like this.
2: Wow. Um,
1: so the reduction in form factor.
0: And, and that's significant. not just, you, you mentioned that the silicon carbide devices themselves are physically smaller, but most of that size reduction will be driven by the other parts in the circuit, right?
1: Yeah. So if, if you just focus on the chip size, um, so by using silicon carbide, the, the, the silicon area that's needed to produce the inverter will be, maybe one fifth of the size. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, and, and, and as you rightly say, the, this this then knocks on further down the chain of the design to, to other areas, the, the cooling that's needed and the, the cooling system and, and the other elements um, that make up the whole product. Mm.
2: Um,
1: and then you end up with this much smaller... Meter brick if you like yeah producing the power so.
0: yeah and um when you're um when you're switching a silicon carbide device does it um you know you've got this 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 sort of advantage is this fast transition from being on to off um but is that does that kind of make a harsher um harsher transition so you, you need to sort of absorb that elsewhere in the system or, or kind of soften that out to, um, is it, is it hard switching basically, or can you still kind of, um, create nice waveforms?
1: Um, no, I, you, you, you can create sort of nice clean waveforms. Um, so, so generally with wide band gap technology, this is one of the advantages. Um, if I mean, going a little bit off piste here, but if you, if you consider something like a gallium nitride switch, mm-hmm. um, I've I've seen a demonstrator where I, I think it was a, a one kilowatt PFC, and and what the company had done, they had literally removed the the silicon switch um, from the PFC, and in a really crude and dirty way. A gallium nitride switch in, so they they didn't augment any of the gate drive or the the housing or implementation. They literally just did a like for like swap.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and then this produced a significant improvement in the efficiency. So they didn't increase they didn't increase the switching frequency. They just replaced the switch, and because the switching is so much cleaner. Right, there's less bounce, and you 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 already see this improvement. So um, there's there's all these conversations about switching up at two megahertz and this type of thing, yeah. and and to realise the benefits of these technologies, you, you don't necessarily need to do that. Just the just the, the cleaner switching waveform, yeah, already brings a benefit.
0: Okay, and interesting, and um, so from a I guess from a design angle there so sort of covered so there is there are some things to take into consideration, um, but actually, you know, it, in in a lot of ways it should be almost an easier task to design with silicon carbide compared to a conventional
1: transistor. Yes, uh, I'd, in general, yes, it, it should be. Okay. So
0: you and I are both up for getting uh, beaten up by uh, the world's electronics engineers for that. Uh, yeah, that guys. Silicon carbide is easier to design with than IGBT. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, um, I'll I'll put my uh, helmet on next time. I yeah, go.
1: I, I, I I I know where you're going a little <laughs> bit. You know, they, they, there's considerations in, around the gate driving. You've obviously got to Generate this higher voltage. Mm. Um, you need some sort of flyback, and yeah, but, but the, again, the technology is evolving, and and the the threshold for driving is, it, is reducing a little bit, um, and it's it's becoming more and more in line with silicon technologies. I think okay. as time goes by. On so. the um,
0: sorry, I meant to ask at the time, and then and we started talking about something else. So. When when we're talking about the short circuit um, prop, uh, properties, and you need to basically detect that, uh, is is that all about uh, essentially monitoring the the current flow in the system and the fast detection of a short circuit? It
1: is. It's yeah. It's exactly that. So you're you're just you're monitoring the the current flow um, across the switch, um, and then in in the short circuit event, you're needing to very quickly. Turn the switch off. So you'll, so they, this this you need to consider with the gate driver design. You need to be looking at all the propagation delays and yeah. um, these elements. Um, but, but from what we see from our customers, um, they're able to do this, um, and there are very good gate drivers becoming available on the market for silicon carbide. Um, so there are. Drivers becoming available with things like the the, the flyback controller integrated into them and, and, and all sorts of features in the hardware um, of the gate driver to assist with developing your your system if you like. Go on, go on. No, no. I, I was just going to sort of finish that that remark with saying it, uh, and also particularly for chargers and DC to DC converters. Um, the, these these products are aren't, aren't expensive in my opinion. Um, the, the, the cost is is quite low. So it, yeah, so so more and more, I, I I think the whole idea of using silicon carbide is just becoming more and more attractive. Yeah. Um, as as everyone gets on the bandwagon, if you like.
0: And that drives one of the other challenges that exists at the moment, which is availability. So, like one of the things that we see is very, very long lead times and uh, sort of constrained availability of devices, as you know, the, the sort of big OEMs are obviously pulling millions and millions and millions of devices um, uh, onto their schedules. What's ST doing about that um, to, to keep? keep open
1: so yes i we we can talk talk about this that's a very good point um so i'd open the discussion by saying what st is doing is investing very heavily yeah. so so the so the in the increase in capacity that we're anticipating isn't um you know relatively large percentages it, it's it's five six seven fold increases in capacity um wow. so um there's, there's various ways of doing this um so at the moment um we're producing on six inch and, and like like others we will progress to eight inch wafer technology
2: yeah
1: um but but also just just putting in additional capacity as well um,
2: right
1: one one thing that st's has done which which was in the news um last year is we we acquired a share um in a company in sweden that produced silicon carbide wafers um so we're actually moving through the vertical if you like so we're right investing in the production of the substrates as as well as the the device um development and fabrication um so the so the investment isn't just in producing capacity of normalized products, it, it's in the whole supply chain.
2: Okay. So, um,
1: and and I, I noticed on LinkedIn this morning as well, there was a nice picture of one of our largest competitors yeah. building a huge fab somewhere.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: For <laughs> silicon carbide. So um, I appreciate it's a concern some people may have, but I, I from what I see, people are making the investments, um, ST for sure, and, and also our competitors are as well.
0: Interesting that you mentioned about going up um, a wafer size. One of the challenges that um, we did, we did a podcast a while back actually with a, a competitor to ST. And um, I remember one of the comments that they'd made was that so the issue with power devices is that um, you know with a microcontroller you're constantly getting volume improvements through the product development. So you know as the the processor gets smaller and smaller and smaller, you can make more and more and more of them on a wafer. But with power switching devices, that doesn't follow through. It's you know you need a certain surface area for yes. a certain amount of power. Yes. And that's it. There's not much you can do about that. Yes. Is that a kind of do, do? you agree with that? And that basically the the answer is just literally more manufacturing capacity, or do you see ways of squeezing more out of less? <laughs>
1: um, no, you're you're absolutely correct. Um, so so in the in the digital space, if you like, um, very small piece of silicon can do a huge amount. Um, but in the analog space to move amps around requires dye. It requires physical area. Um, yeah. So, but, but having said that you can get some improvement. So you obviously, when we go through different iterations of the silicon, so we're currently um, beginning to roll out gen three, um, which is our third generation of silicon carbide. Um, there, there is a, improvement in the figure of merit. Um, so the, the RDS on per area improves and the, right. um, the capacitance and ratios improve. So you can that translates into more devices per per wafer. Okay. Um, but you but your observation is, in general, completely accurate. Right. <laughs>
2: the,
1: the, the only way you can move hundreds of amps around is with lots of silicon, so so that's why we're investing heavily in increasing capacity.
0: Okay, uh, in- really interesting, uh, fantastic. So, um, just to, to bring things to a close um, now, so, so w- what does you, what does the future look like? What does the product roadmap look like? What's kind of new and exciting that's coming? And um, what what are you most excited about in the in the next year or so?
1: so to to talk about the the products how they're looking um so we're continuing to innovate um the the silicon so to striving for improvements in the figure of merit of the actual dye um and 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 what's exciting for me is some of the ideas we have inside the company around the packaging how to how to enable the silicon if you like so um, it's topics such as dual-side cooling, and and we're looking at ways to make modules um, fit the applications better. Um, and and I I can't go into too much detail, but we have product we have a project running with one or two customers um, that's very very innovative um, in terms of how you extract the heat from the switches and mm-hmm. reduce the costs. So. Right. So it, it it's it's really moving very quickly, and and for me personally, what's interesting is the strategic programs that I'm working on with the bigger customers, um, and really getting these into production in in two or three years' time. It, it's it's very technically challenging. Um, we we've talked quite a lot about the inverter application, and and having spent. Two decades working in electrical engineering, I now find myself almost having to transition into mechanical engineering somehow. <laughs> and you're looking at cooling plates and
2: yeah,
1: and and how things go together and 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 it, it, it's that's that's an interesting challenge for me and yeah, something very new. So yeah, yeah,
2: oh,
0: fantastic. Well, it, that's been. Um, it, uh, really fascinating um we've covered like so much ground there and, and i've learned a, a huge amount so thank you very much for agreeing um to to take the time out today to um to talk to me dan it's uh that's been great thank you
1: no problem um thank you very much for the invite thank you
2: great
0: so that's all we've got time for today that's been absolutely fascinating talking to dan uh, learning more about what he does about st uh, talking about silicon carbide and how, how that's going to be used and the sort of roadmap that's coming. So the basic summary from that is if you're not working on silicon carbide now for your power devices, you should be. Um, keep a look for some really interesting products coming from ST, um, particularly on the module side where with some of the, the companies they're working with on repackaging. That's uh, re- really interesting stuff coming through there. So like as always, um, please leave us a rating, hit like, uh, comment, comment, We really appreciate it. It helps to uh, get the podcast seen by more people and keeps us up there in the rankings. If you've got a question or a subject that you'd like us to cover, do feel free to get in touch. Uh, We've had some fantastic reach-outs over the last month. We've got some really exciting, interesting podcasts coming on some topics um, where people have got in touch with us. So feel free to get in touch. Um, And that's all. So that's all we've got time for today. I really look forward to speaking to you again soon.